0: Sketch 8 of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed by William Alexander McKay. Sketch eight. Dr. James Fraser, President of RCVS, England. The career of James Fraser, president of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, England, is fitted to inspire every young man to make the most of himself. Born of pious, industrious parents, and reared under Christian influences, he early dedicated himself to God, and from that day a holy ambition fired his soul, and his life has been onward and upward, until to-day he occupies one of the highest positions ever won by a Canadian— or by any colonist in England. The object of this sketch is briefly to indicate the steps by which he rose. James Fraser was born on November 6, 1846, on lot 9, concession 10, East Zora. He is the eldest son of Captain William and Jane Fraser, née Mackay. His father is still living, and enjoying good health at the age of eighty-five, and has been for many years an esteemed elder in Chalmers Church, Woodstock. Like Timothy of old, Dr. Fraser owes much to his mother and paternal grandmother. If ever the history of the famous women of Zora should be written, Mrs. Fraser, Sr., will occupy a prominent place in it. Of his parents Dr. Fraser says, quote, I would be less than grateful if I did not acknowledge my indebtedness to my father and mother they denied themselves very much to educate their children, and did all that parental love could suggest, or their circumstances permit, to equip us for the battle of life. When I was struggling hard during the first few years in England, few things gave me greater courage under disappointment than the consciousness of their never-failing sympathy. I always felt that if no person else appreciated my efforts, they did." my old home in Zora is to me one of the dearest spots in the world, and to send some little token of my affection there from time to time is my purest pleasure. His happy English surroundings have in no way diminished Dr. Fraser's attachment to the district where first he saw the light a Zora man who visited his charming english home relates that on the plate glass over the front door are inscribed in letters of gold the one word embro and true to his highland ancestry he calls his home Door-knock. of his early teachers he says quote, the one who helped me most and made the deepest impression on my mind was mr john shaw he took a great interest in his work and boys who really tried made good progress under his tuition, quote. Some of his schoolfellows he mentions and characterizes as follows, quote, the Wood Boys, who were very kind and generous, the Griffiths, so friendly, Sandy Mackay, Captain, who never stooped to anything mean, my uncle, Robert Mackay, whose progress at school was alike creditable to himself and his teachers. Billy Bruce, so full of fun and mischief. George L. McKay, whose impulsive nature has since been so wonderfully consecrated and utilized in the master's service. James Sutherland, now a minister of the Canadian Cabinet, whose tenacity of purpose I have good reason to remember. Last but not least, my brother William, now in heaven, between whom and myself existed, yea, and still exists, the strongest bond of affection." His was a promising career, but it was cut short. His last letter to me is my most cherished possession. In it he expresses much concern for the salvation of those about him. Quote. Among his early pastors he mentions the reverends D. Mackenzie, D. Allen, and John Fraser. The preaching of the latter he greatly enjoyed. Of them all he says, quote, They aroused me, but as yet I had no peace. My father wisely allowed me to go to Woodstock and hear Dr. McMullen as often as I liked, when the rest of the family drove to Embro. I walked by myself to Knox Church. I remember distinctly when coming home from church I used to cut corners by walking through the fields and woods and would sit down and rest under a tree, the while thinking of what the preacher had said and refreshing my memory from notes I had taken. I would then kneel down and pray for help. What a precious time this was to me! It was God's light coming gently into the darkness of a human soul. Dr. McMullen helped me very much, and I am grateful to him to this day. Quote. To each of my young readers I would say, take a note of this part of James Fraser's experience. Think of him on bended knee in the woods, at the root of that tree, pouring out his heart to God this kept him pure and made him strong, courageous, persevering. Today, many young people are always in a hurry and bustle, rushing from church to church and from service to service, and seldom sit down to commune with their own hearts, and quietly to digest and take stock of their spiritual condition. The result is, their religion is dwarfish, weak, unsatisfying, spiritual prosperity largely depends on private communion with god what the hidden root is to the leaf fruit and flower that private devotion is to the public man he who knew what was in man said enter into thy closet and shut the door when about twenty years of age james fraser chose the veterinary profession as his calling the montreal veterinary school which was affiliated to mcgill college had just then begun its career. Mr. Fraser attended there for two sessions, taking physiology, chemistry, zoology, botany, and geology, with the medical students. The late Sir William Dawson was then in the zenith of his power. Mr. Fraser attended not only his scientific addresses during the week, but his Bible-class lectures every Sabbath afternoon. Thus his head and heart were simultaneously trained. His experience after leaving Montreal I will give in his own graphic language. I found that to obtain a thorough knowledge of my profession I must go either to London or Edinburgh. I chose the latter, which was then under the guidance of Principal Williams and an affable staff of professors. With my father's consent I sailed from New York for Scotland on October fifteenth, 1868. I joined the senior class and found them far ahead of me, so I put my shoulder to the wheel with a vengeance and worked day and night, for I could not afford to be plucked. At the end of the session came the much-dreaded exams. Much to my surprise I came out one of the top three. The three were a Scotchman and Irishman and a Canadian. We were recalled to be examined for the college prize. In that final struggle I was beaten." We stood as follows, first the Scotchman, second the Canadian, third the Irishman. The winner and the third man both had one session longer at college than I. When I left the boardroom that day defeated, I confess I would have liked a cheer from Zora. I took it for granted, though, for I was sure if the Zora lads had been there, they would have thrown their bonnets in the air for their old comrade." however I was through and that was enough for me. A word or two about Edinburgh. I had little or no time when attending the classes for sightseeing except on Sabbath, and I felt tired with the week's work and devoted that day to the purpose for which God appointed it. I usually attended the ministry of Dr. Thompson, but I heard also many other men of note, such as Dr. Candlish, Dr. Guthrie, Dr. Norman MacLeod, and Dean Ramsay. Here I often saw and once heard Professor John Stuart Blackie speak. It was grand to see that fine old Scot walking along Princess Street. He seemed part of the city. Tall, lithe, erect, buoyant, with snow-white hair, his plaid about his shoulder in the old Scotch fashion, all made up a unique personality. I would advise all Zora boys to get his book on The Language and Literature of the Scottish Highlands, after the exams I went to see many places of interest—Arthur's seat, the Calton Hall, the Castle, Holyrood, Assembly Hall, John Knox's house, etc. I have seen many cities since, but none equals Edinburgh for beauty. In addition to its fine streets and buildings, it is highly favoured by nature. The sight is romantic." The day after I received my diploma Principal Williams offered me an appointment as assistant to a practitioner in England, and I thought it wise to accept. I confess I was not much use, for I had seen so little practice. However, by keeping my eyes and ears open and my mouth shut, I managed to get along fairly well, although sorely pressed at times. My experience with animals on my father's farm was a great help to me." i crept along step by step until after four years time a very lucrative practice was placed at my disposal there was however one big difficulty i had not sufficient capital to pay for it or to conduct it after it was paid for to get over this difficulty i agreed with the vendor that i should serve him three months as assistant intending to await the developments of the situation At the expiration of that time I had so far gained his confidence that he consented to leave the larger part of the purchase-money at interest, to be paid off in installments. The way was now clear, and nothing remained but steady application to duty. Horses of great value, some worth a hundred thousand dollars each, were placed under my care, and I had many a restless night owing to serious illness among them my clients included the prince of wales the late duke of westminster lord allington sir f johnston sir richard sutton and many other wealthy and distinguished men the work was all new to me and i had to be very careful to avoid mistakes practitioners in the other branch of medicine bury their mistakes with their patients not so with us post-mortems have to be made there and then on our dead patients and errors of judgment declare themselves with painful accuracy. To err is human, and no man should be blamed if he does his best and displays ordinary skill. The man of the world does not, however, take that view of it, and many a poor fellow who does his best suffers loss of reputation. I was at this time working hard for the higher degree of my college. I got the fellowship in eighteen seventy nine. All this time I was reading English literature, and great was the pleasure it afforded me. My favorite authors were Ruskin, Carlyle, Froude, Green, Darwin, Huxley, Bain, Mill, John Morrow, George Eliot, George MacDonald, and Kindred writers. My favorite poets were Whittier, Browning, and Pollock. I was fortunate in having access to good libraries. In 1871 I was elected member of the Council of the RCVS, and in 1899 president, by the unanimous vote of the Council. This is the greatest honour of my life, and one that I highly appreciate. Last Christmas I presided over the examinations in Edinburgh, in the very room where I had the struggle for the college prize thirty years ago. End quote. I may mention that Dr. Fraser is also vice-president of the Royal Institute of Public Health, England, and also vice-president of the British Institute of Preventative Medicine, of which the famous Lord Lister is president. Notwithstanding the many and heavy responsibilities of his calling, Dr. Fraser has done much successful work of a religious character, especially as a teacher of a very large Bible class. To the question, To what do you attribute your success in life? Dr. Fraser replies, To God and the exercise of the ordinary gifts with which he has endowed me. I gave him my heart, and he graciously fulfilled in me every promise made to those who put their trust in him. Money is of little value when troubles come, as come they must to all. I found him to be always near, and, oh, so gracious and kind! friends are of great value but god is best of all some years ago i felt what i regarded as the foundation of belief slipping away from me my mind was disturbed restless unsatisfied i went to hear our best preachers and thinkers thomas binney known as the bishop of nonconformity alex raleigh a charming poet preacher r w dale who grasped his subject like a giant alex mclaren whose persuasive eloquence still moves multitudes, Oswald Dykes, quiet, logical, convincing, C. H. Spurgeon, original, practical, and honest, all these helped me greatly, each in his own way. Still I lacked something which I cannot define. Relief came, in a way, and from a source I did not expect. George MacDonald's books accidentally—was it accidentally?—fell in my way, and I devoured them as a hungry man eats food. I saw things in a different light, and I felt the ground solid again under me. Oh, the joy, after being tossed on the stormy sea of uncertainty, to feel that I was once more standing on the solid rock! He preached occasionally in the suburbs of London, and I went whenever I could to hear him. I never heard the like before or since. He conducts the service not on a fixed plan, but just as the circumstances dictate. His prayer—no, it was not a prayer in the ordinary sense, it was a man talking to God—was a revelation to me, an opening of the door of heaven. He took those who wished into the divine presence. His preaching—no, it was not preaching, it was a man talking to men, threw a flood of light on whatever subject he had selected— I never knew how great and good God is, until George MacDonald told me. A few years after that he came to our house one evening, and took tea with my family. How delighted my wife and I were! He was to deliver a lecture on King Lear in a large church, of which I was at that time honorary secretary, and that was how it came about that I had the pleasure and honor of being his host. If it would not be presumptuous to offer advice to any young lad who may read these words, I would say, trust in God and do the right. Remember, we are not sent here to make money or even to be happy. We are sent here, if I understand it, for the development of our character. Look at the incidents and circumstances of your life, however untoward they may appear at times, as ministers sent to aid you in the accomplishment of this object." Look upon your fellow-men as those who need your support, and, in some cases, your direction. Never forget that God is kind, and always feels kindly towards you. When you do wrong, God is grieved, yet feels kindly and desires you to do better. You will often be defeated, and perhaps fail in things you undertake, but don't lose heart. God never fails, nor will He fail you. Canon Kingsley said in his last hours, How beautiful God is! Try and catch a glimpse of him every day of your life, and then you will be getting like him. That will be success. End, quote. End of Sketch 8